Well, it's lovely to be with you again um, this evening. And um, I wasn't going to ask, but I'm going to ask anyway. I wonder if you did your homework. I'm not asking any questions about that. We're going to be looking at a very different um, area of Peter's life. But not only Peter, we're going to do a wee bit of a tour um, into some Old Testament characters. But first, let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for open Bibles that you've given to us. And we just pray that as we walk through its pages and learn from your servants of old, that you would lead and guide us in our thinking, in our personal lives, in our church life. And just ask that you would open this, your word, to all our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got two Bible readings. There's actually will be three shown up on the, on the screen, but I'm not reading from the third one at the moment. I might later on. It's Matthew 14. But let's look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. <clears throat> when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And then our other reading taken from Matthew chapter 9, just from verse 9 down to verse, 30, verse 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. 
I was not brought up in a Christian home, even a church-going home. We never went to church. In fact, that's not strictly true. The only time I went was when we went with the school, and every Christmas Eve, um, when I went alone with my mother, it was sort of more a tradition than anything else. My parents lived in Edinburgh. They lived in Johnson Terrace in a tenement. It's the street or the road that runs down the side of Edinburgh Castle. And while they lived there, my mum my was actually pregnant at the time with me. Next door to them, they had two lady Salvation Army officers. Perhaps, just perhaps, and I don't know this, if this is true or not, they prayed for that unborn child. I don't know. But it was through the Salvation Army that I became a Christian. It was through the witness of three Salvationists that I worked with, and then I became a Christian actually in the Salvation Army Hall in Leith in Edinburgh. Mind you, Leithers wouldn't like to be called people from Edinburgh, but anyway, you'll know what I mean. But that was the first time in my office that I actually met people who followed Jesus. You ever think about it? The most place, or the place that most of us spend most of our time, most of our days, is in the workplace, not the church. I don't know about you, but perhaps at the most, we may spend one, two, perhaps three hours a week in church, but then again, for those working or have, who have worked, it could be 38, 40, 50, perhaps even more hours at work. And we're amongst unbelievers, mostly, not church people. I know you're looking at um, the whole area of church within not only your own church, but the churches in the Braes, and that's great to look at it. But remind yourself, even as you go through that, that church is not the final place that you will be witnessing in, worshipping in. Many of you will also have the place of work. Now, I haven't done this or planned this in the light of what you'll be looking at yourselves, but the workplace needs to be taken account of. They say that 90% of believers never witness to Jesus Christ in the workplace. It's a difficult place to work, to work in. It's a difficult place to witness in. And we'll look perhaps a wee bit later as to, to why. Last month we looked at Peter and the first impressions we had of him. And now we're going to briefly look at Peter in his workplace that wasn't where he first met Jesus. That's in Luke chapter 5. But it's where he saw the power of Jesus. It's where he was called to follow Jesus. I, I can imagine that he and his brothers and his friends, James and John, were good at their jobs. But church is often where we think. That's where people meet with Jesus. But see beyond the church building. It's very important, and it has a very important place in our lives. But 
we need to remember where we meet most people who are not Christians. You might almost say that actually the workplace, the, the boat Peter out fishing was his, his comfort zone. This was his domain as a fisherman. Yet see how at this time, again going back to Luke chapter 5 and later on in um, Mark, Matthew chapter 14, his whole world was turned upside down by a carpenter. So let's, let's briefly look at Peter's feelings, because this place that was his comfort zone was taken charge of by this carpenter, by someone else, to the shock of Peter. Now, remember, let me remind you, if you need reminding, that Peter wasn't a big religious figure. He wasn't a leader in his synagogue, as far as I know. But the shock he was about to experience was in his workplace. It's a place I think many of us enjoy going to, but the thought of witnessing there, well, that's a non-starter for, for many of us. But for Peter, it's where he really got out of his depth, literally. A number of times it happened when storms arose. Now, I'm sure as a fisherman he was used to storms, but whether this was a different storm, it certainly terrified him. And of course, he had gone through the night fishing, and that had been a big disappointment to him. I'm not a fisherman, the rod kind or any kind, but he had caught no fish that night. That was uh, pretty bad for him because that was his livelihood. That's where he made his income. No fish. And then this storm arose. But I think it was, I, I don't know if he was annoyed, but the, the fact that a, a carpenter then tells you, look, throw your net on the other side. Now, one, it was the wrong time of day. Two, it was the wrong side of the boat. So what does a carpenter know about fishing? Well, this one certainly did. But it was bringing Peter out of his depth, out of his comfort zone. And as you perhaps start to think about your comfort zone, the church, and for many of us, it is a comfort zone. Think about that place of work where you, you meet many people who are not believers, who are not churchgoers, and remind yourself as to who they are. Let's just briefly then turn to, to Matthew for a moment. As far as um, the other disciples are concerned, we're not really sure what a lot of them did, Baden, James, and John. But here was Matthew, the tax collector. Now, you'll probably know this. He had been hated and despised, as all tax collectors were, because they were often thieves con men. They were robbing the people, and they were uh, really lackeys of the, the Roman conquerors. Now, we don't hear much about what Jesus said. In fact, we hear very little. He just simply said, follow me. There was no big demonstration of his power. 
uh, to Matthew at this time. But notice what happened. Not only did Matthew leave his workplace, but he then went home with Jesus and had a house party with his friends. The same type of despised people as he was. Now, I don't think his, his idea was he had started to follow Jesus. I don't think his idea was, how am I going to get these people to the synagogue? Or we would say to church. That wasn't his thinking. His thinking was to invite, or they invited themselves, the other tax collectors, because they would know one another. It wasn't to bring them under the preaching of the minister. It was to bring them to the preaching of Jesus. Now, let me remind you about your own workplace, as it was my workplace where, where I met with people who knew Jesus. But it's that little phrase again in, in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come to call the righteous not the righteous, but sinners. So when you go into your place of work, it's not like going into the church where you, you meet with like-minded people, mostly. It's not a place where you need to think too much about, I wonder who I'll witness to today. It may be, I wonder who I don't know and I'll talk to today. But there, there is a comfort, there's a, there's a safety in the church that you don't have to worry about your evangelism too much. But that's very different when you then, on a Monday or whichever days you go to work, you've got to think that these people that you're going to be working with are just like what I was, still am, but what I was in my workplace. I was one of those sinners that knew nothing, nothing about Jesus. I believed there was something or someone up there, but that's as far as it went. But here is your community where you will spend most of your days, most of your time, with non-Christian folk. We, we have a problem often within the church, within our own Christian life, is the division of, uh, of the sacred and the secular. In other words, what we are as a Christian and what I do as, um, as a person at work. So for Peter, his secular life was, he was a fisherman. And as we as you read on, we would find that Peter's sacred life was, he was an apostle. Now we mustn't divide up the sacred and the secular. We have responsibilities in the church, our place of worship. We have responsibilities to people out with the church, whether it be in our workplace or our neighborhood, who are not believers. Matthew, he was a different kettle of fish. He, we don't really know very much about him, barren the, the little there, but he obviously had a big change in his life of following Jesus, but he was also a hated man. I don't know how long, we don't know how long it took him to overcome the, the feelings of hatred that people must have felt towards him. The workplace. But I want to digress quite a bit 
not from the workplace. But these stories of people in the workplace, of Peter and of Matthew, are really not unique. They're not unique to Bible stories. We're going to look at just different places, not, not in with a great sense of degree, but um, in the university, uh, in the government, civil service, in the palace, amongst, amongst the hierarchy, or perhaps on the, the building site. Now, you may work in some of these places. And so it's recorded in the Scriptures about a number of people from the Old Testament who worked in such places, who witnessed in such places. Now, let me remind you, if you need reminding, that the recorded stories are not just for exciting stories or not just to teach children, though they're important to teach children, but they're about people's lives. And these people are in the workplace. So the person at university was young Daniel. You find this in Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Now, he was there because he had been brought into exile, taken away from his home, taken away from his family, and taken to Babylon. And there he would go through a very thorough teaching. It would be as good a teaching as any of our universities. And of course, in some ways, it would also be as godless a teaching as many of our universities. It wouldn't be a Christian university. It wouldn't be where he learned about God. But in another sense, while he was there, he learned very much about God. His story, of course, you'll probably know. If not, take time to read chapter 1. That Here was this young man, and he was a young man, probably just a teenager. He was taken away from his home, from his family, and brought into this godless empire. And it was godless. And he was set to, to training, but he took his stand. Immediately he took his stand with some of his friends that were there because he had to eat things. Now, there, there's a dilemma. Sometimes he, he was prepared to have his name changed from the Jewish name to a Babylonian name, and he didn't seem to have a problem with that. He would obviously learn things that were, were true, but he would also learn many things that were ungodly. But the thing he had a problem with was the food he was offered, was his dietary needs. They offered him the best, the richest, and he totally refused it because it went against his, his beliefs. And he took a strong stand. He could have lost his life by doing this, but he stood firm, he stood fast in his workplace for that time. And it's obviously a reminder to each of us that our young people who go to university, it can be a very difficult place, very difficult place for them to stand up and believe and tell others that they're a Christian. But that's their workplace for a certain amount of time. And then we move to his older life, to Daniel, who moved from being in the university, and you have to read the whole book to find out where he went, to actually being in the government and very high up in the government. Probably next to the, the king, he was in charge. 
But it didn't mean to say life got any easier for him, even though he had got older. He still had to take his stand, and this time it was against idolatry. Now, many of us live in, realize we live in a world that's full of idolatry. We're okay in, this, in the company of, of other believers within the church, but go outside, and perhaps you don't even realize how often we are faced with the godlessness of our society. And Daniel was definitely faced with that. And he had to take his stand. And that would have cost him his life if God hadn't intervened. We read about in Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den. So his new job, I don't know how long he had been in it, probably quite a while, in the government was going to lead to his demise, even though his boss, the king, didn't want it to happen, but he couldn't even change the law. So there you have one man in two different areas of his life in his workplace having to take his stand. And what about you? What about me? I can't say I was an expert at being um, a, a witness in, in the workplace when I worked, and I was a civil servant for my sins. Um, but I'll tell you this, in some ways, it, um, it was very different than being a minister. Very different. Different sorts of um, problems, different sorts of background. But you still had to take your stand. That's where these Salvation Army people, now one young girl particularly, who was only going to be there for a few months because she was going on to train to be a Salvation Army. I had never met anybody that was quite as vocal, and she was vocal. She was quite a wee firebrand uh, for Jesus. The other two were, were, well, one was like the core sergeant major. That had been like the chief elder, I suppose. Um, lovely man. But he wasn't as outward in his place of work but everybody knew he was a Christian. And that was my first encounter with people. So remind yourself that as you go into your place of work, you have a witness to do. Now, often it's through our lives, but at times it needs to be through our mouths as well. And then we move on to someone, you can see I'm going through these quite quickly. Then you move on to someone who uh, it was in the palace, and that was the story of Joseph. He hadn't always been in the palace. At the time we're looking at just now, he had become the prime minister. Again, someone that had really moved up through the ranks from being a prisoner to being a prime minister. Quite a, st a story, but again, you need to read that for yourself in the book of Genesis. That, um, but you see how people took their stand and witnessed to this person called our God, called the Lord, and we know also as Jesus. And they're amazing stories. They're amazing stories not of what, only of what the people did, but of how God moved in power as they yielded their lives to him. And the last one is the butler who became a building site manager, Nehemiah. He had been the butler, that was his job in, in um, Babylon. I think it was Babylon, Scott will keep me right if it's not. He had been a butler, 
but he had heard of the terrible plight of God's people in Jerusalem, and he yearned to do something about it. And the Lord led him to Jerusalem. And his boss let him go. The testimony must have been incredible. These things just didn't happen. But here was someone whose job changed very dramatically. And that happens within people's work lives. But in both places, there had to be witnesses to who the Lord God of heaven is and was to them. Now, we haven't got time to go into it all, but if you read through them, each of these men were in a place where actually they didn't want to be. They'd never asked to be. Daniel had never asked to go to Babylon. Joseph had never asked to, to go to Egypt. Nehemiah had never asked to go back and rebuild. They were in a place that was not really of their choosing, but the Lord had led them. So think about it. Your place of work may be the place you really don't want to be. And sadly, a lot of people are in that, that they're in a place they don't want to be. But if that's where the Lord's led you to, you seriously have to think, how does he want to demonstrate his power in lives through you? Now, one of the other things that you, you, you read um, through these stories and through Peter's stories is that there were battles, there were trials, there were difficulties in the workplace. And I'm sure that is perhaps why many of us find it very difficult to witness. There's a sense of fear. What will people say? Will I overstep the mark? After all, I'm there to work. I'm there to work for my employer. I'm not there to be a preacher or a teacher. But we don't all I was going to say, we don't always do our work 24 hours a day or eight hours a day if we're working. They can be very hostile places. And with some people and some believers, they're extremely hostile. And you would almost be terrified to even mention, to even suggest that you went to church, never mind even witness about Jesus. The church is a very different place than our workplaces. But let me remind you again, the workplace is where we spend more of our time. Here was young Daniel, a slave in a foreign country, and as a young teenager, stands up and was counted. He wouldn't go against his principles. Now, he had favor with, with the other servants that were looking after him. Uh, I think they were probably dreading and fearing that they would lose their heads if it was found out that they weren't, he wasn't following the instruct or the orders of the, of the king. And it was the same with the lion's den. People trapped him. They conned him. They betrayed him. They were determined to get him. And boy, they certainly went out of their way to do it. You might say they were whistleblowers in one sense. Your Majesty, you remember the law you made? Remember what you said, if people do not bow down and worship this idol of you, they will be thrown to the lions. They were whistleblowers. But you know, not even the king could rescue him. It was a law that was unchangeable. So as you read the story, and we know the story of Daniel, 
in the lion's den so well. It's almost unbelievable. It's almost incredible. But here was the power of God seen as he shut the lion's mouth. And perhaps you might be in a place where you might see the Lord shutting people's mouths that you want to witness to. But it's fear, isn't it? It's the same with Nehemiah, the hostility. Now, he was on the Lord's business. And yet the hostility that he faced as people undermined him, undermined his work, but he stood firm. And it, it cost. It cost probably him a reputation, but you know, he stuck faithfully to that word. And Peter, going back to him, well, he had a bit of a bumpy ride through his life. He wasn't always the big, dynamic, bold Peter. He, he had tremendous disappointments. But you remember the story, I think it was another one later on, where Jesus was walking on the water and Peter opened his mouth and Jesus had said to him, look, come. Because Jesus, uh, Peter wanted to follow him. What a fool, eh? Get out of the boat and walk on water. And he did until he saw the waves and he started to, to crumble. Now that, in one sense, was in his his workplace amongst his, um, his other friends and disciples or apostles. I often wonder what they used to think. I was thinking, oh, here he goes again, you know, putting his big foot in it. But he did it. He did it. And even though he fell, even though he had these bumpy rides, and of course later on he'd have a very bumpy ride in denying that he ever knew Jesus. So the workplace as life can be a very bumpy place to live in, but we can't stay in the security of our churches and amongst God's people and forget that there are people out there who need to be reached. We haven't looked in Moses, but um, just in the passing, do you remember when um, he thought he was doing the people of God a favor by going to the Pharaoh and asking that his people could go out and uh, worship, and all that resulted was that they were given uh, more work to do and harder taskmasters to, to follow, slave drivers. I wonder if you feel a bit like that in your work, a bit of a slave driver, and then the, the company starts to um, dismiss people. So you've got a smaller workforce, but still the same amount of work. The quotas still have to be met. That's your story. That's your story. Their quotas still had to be met. They were stretched to the limits and they complained and they were discouraged, but the Lord helped them to build. So many stories around the workplace, not within the church, but it's there in these situations that God displayed his power to them and to a godless world. And let me remind you, but when you become a Christian, you're a person who has been set free from sin to follow the Lord and to allow him to show his power to you, his people. I don't know if you've read the book. I'm sure Scott's probably read it. By a man called John Ortberg. 
If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Of course, it's an illustration of Peter. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. We have to get out of the safe place and to get into the area where it can be bumpy, where we can feel we're going to sink, where we have all sorts of fear in our hearts and our lives. But we need to do it. And you may come into church and be amongst a people who mostly are believers. But remember, remember what Jesus said in Matthew. Uh, sorry, in, yes, in Matthew chapter 6, that he came to call not the righteous, but sinners. I've been a Christian for many, many years. So it's hard to look back on the days where I didn't go to church, where I didn't learn about Jesus, where I didn't meet with God's people. But what it's not hard to forget is I'm a sinner. But I found the Savior. But you'll be working with many people who are sinners but have yet to find the Savior. And you will be reaching people day by day that Scott will never reach because he's not in your workplace. He has a different job and a different role and a different workplace. But we need to be reminded that we are a people who have to go out and win sinners for our Savior. So as you start to look at the role of the church, what the church is, just let me remind you to have a look also at what your workplace is too. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we do thank you for the many people that we rub shoulders with day by day, either in our neighborhood or in our workplaces. We thank you that that you've placed us there to be your witnesses through the way we live, through the way we act, and through the way we speak. So help us, Lord, because we can be and are often a fearful people. We feel safe in the church. We feel comfortable in the church. But we pray that you might help us to launch out into the deep and see souls, one for Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Our thanks to Gordon for opening up God's word to us this evening and bringing both a message of encouragement and challenge, reminding of us of our high calling to be ambassadors of God's kingdom, messengers and witnesses to those around us who, are, who don't yet know Jesus. And we have to somehow share that with them, both through our actions and through our words. Now, many folks in our congregation and the wider Brace churches would count themselves as being retired. You don't have a job. But all of us have a vocation, even in retirement. It may be uh, 
fr through friendship circles, it may be through areas of service, it may be with family or local groups that we're a part of, it may be simply with neighbours. And these are all contexts and contacts through whom God is calling us. Gordon said in his message that sometimes we're, we're placed in a difficult position and, and what might God want to do with us there to show and reveal his power? And the same is true if you would count yourself as retired. You, you are in a context, a place. God has you there. So how is he calling you to show his power and share his message with the people around you. So don't write off tonight's sermon simply because there was a lot of talk about jobs and work. Everything Gordon said is just as applicable to anyone listening to it, and we hope we'll all engage. Now Gordon has left some questions for us to think about, and we'll put these on screen and in the description below the video to get us thinking and taking the principles into the week ahead and even the month ahead. Who knows, he may ask us next month, have we done anything about it? And hopefully we will. Thanks for joining us for Tuesday Evening Sermon. We look forward to sharing in worship with you again soon.